Sunday morning, the 18th. Turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. I was talking about, last week I was talking about the conversion of Paul. And we are actually in Colossians is what we're trying to study. On Wednesday nights we're doing James. And if any way possible that you can listen to Wednesday night, either on the podcast or the CD, please do so. The way they are connecting with Sunday morning, Wednesday night is really not even planned, but it's just happening. And some of the things that I'm saying on Wednesday... It, you know, it's, it's not a regular service, more of a Bible teaching time. And this past Wednesday, we probably, I don't know how long it was, but it was probably at least 45 minutes, maybe a little longer. But it was, uh, it ended up being, being really good as far as tying in to the things that we're doing on Sunday. And I would, I really would like for y'all to be be uh, catching what's on Wednesday as well. Now, there's a statement that I was trying to get to last week, just ran out of time, and I want you to see it. So, in Acts nine, hopefully everybody's there, talking about Paul's conversion. Notice how quick Paul went from persecuting Christians. Now, his name is Saul at this point. Now, in verse 20, it says, And straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues that he, talking about Christ, is the Son of God. Now, remember what Colossians chapter 1 is about And it's about Jesus Christ being the head of the church. Jesus is God in the flesh. He is the Son of God. Uh, In in my Bible, when I've got it open to, to Acts 9, on the other page of where I just read in 20, just right here, I don't even have to turn, it's Acts 8. And... It's the very familiar story. I've, I've talked about it many, many times. You know that. The, the story of the Ethiopian eunuch. And anybody who's listening, make sure you look at it. Make sure you're uh, reading along with some of these verses here. And the eunuch has asked, after Philip has, has shown him the Scriptures and helped him in the Scriptures to really understand them. And it gets down to verse 36, and it says, And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doeth hinder me to be baptized? And then verse 37, the most critical verse in this whole story, follow along, And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, 
I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That's critical that we're, that we're seeing that. Uh, a few weeks ago, when we started Colossians, we were talking about John chapter 1, how the Word was manifest in the flesh. Jesus, God, was manifest in the flesh. And that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. By the way, if whatever version Bible you're reading from, which you're, that you have open, if 37's not there, please find a version of the Bible that has verse 37. And now, I'm going over to Acts 13, and we are going to read what Paul preaches in the synagogue. We already heard that he went into the synagogues pretty much right away, and he's preaching and making people understand that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, in chapter 13, just turn a few pages to uh, Acts 13, and I'm going to do a bunch of reading. But this is a sermon that the Apostle Paul preaches in the synagogue. Starting with verse 14, But when they departed from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down, and after the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent unto them, saying, Ye men and brethren, if ye have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. Now, basically what, what has happened here is Paul is there, and the people who did the reading out of the law and the prophets, they gave opportunity for anybody that happened to be there that had a word to be able to stand up and exhortate, you know, to, to speak out something. Um, when Elona had her singing down in Salem just a few weeks ago, uh, her pastor was there, and he, he spoke a little bit of words at the beginning, and then at the end, he got up and was going to close things out, and he looked right at me, and he, he said, uh, do you have anything? And I got up, and Ilona and her family had, had just sang a song, uh, Jesus on the Main Line. And I just happened to turn in my phone, and I was reading Jeremiah 33.3, and he asked if I had anything, and I got up, and I mentioned the song that she sang, and I'm, I'm standing up in front of everybody with my phone in my hand, and I said, I got that number. It's right here in my phone. Do you want that number so you can get, on, get Jesus on the main line? And I read Jeremiah 33.3, where, where uh, God is saying, call upon me, and I will answer thee. You know, he's not checking the caller ID, saying, who, who? Oh, no, no, no. He's going to answer. Isn't that awesome? Most people won't answer their phones anymore. So you call, and you're not going to get an answer more than likely. I mean, I get people who text me, and I know they just texted me because it just came in. They're right there at their phone, and then I'm, I might be driving or something, or, or I just can't, I'm not going to text. So I call them right away. 
because I want to be able to speak to them and they don't answer. So I found out that a lot of people, they text and then run from their phone. That's what they do. Had somebody admit it to me yesterday. Uh, she said, yeah. I said, I called you as soon as you texted me. And they're like, oh, yeah. Well, as soon as I hit send, I jumped in the shower. <laughs> All right. So, okay. <clears throat> but guess what? When you call Jesus, he's going to answer. So then Paul stood up and beckoning with his hand said, Men of Israel, and ye that fear God, give audience. And God, or the God of this people of Israel, chose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt, and with an high arm brought them out of it. And about the time of forty years suffered he their manners in the wilderness. And when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he divided their land to them by lot. And after that, he gave unto them judges about the space of 450 years until Samuel the prophet. And afterward, they desired a king, and God gave unto them Saul, the son of Sis, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, by the space of 40 years. You notice 40 so many times in the Word of God. And this guy who's preaching this sermon, he's named after this king. They had the same name, Saul. But now, you know, his name's going to be uh, Paul. 22, And when he had removed him, he raised up unto them David to be their king to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. You know, we just talked about Ruth. We, we did, I think that was on a Sunday, and went through the book of Ruth, and, you know, look, look at uh, what came out of that whole story. David shows up out of that story. And this past Wednesday, we, we got back into that story of Ruth, and how significant that story is, and how we should know it. It should be in our hearts that we can explain it to people and give people the deeper meaning of that story. So the son of, uh, son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. Of this man's seed hath God, according to his promise, raised unto Israel a Savior, Jesus. So... What happened with the story of Ruth that eventually brought David into this world? And then David, from him, eventually came Jesus. He's in that line. When John had first preached before his coming the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel, so John's baptism was different. The, the, John the Baptist, so Paul, he's bringing all this to remembrance of the people of Israel and anybody who fear God. That's who he's talking to. Not just the men of Israel, but anybody who fears God. And as John fulfilled his course, he said, Whom think ye that I am? I am not he, but behold, there cometh one after me, whose shoes of his feet I am not worthy to loose. Did you know that's in Acts? You probably thought that was only in the Gospels. 
but it's in Acts. Paul is reminding them of it. Men and brethren, children of the stock of Abraham, and whosoever among you feareth God, to you is the word of this salvation sent. For they that dwell at Jerusalem and their rulers, because they knew him not, nor yet the voices of the prophets which are read every Sabbath day, they have fulfilled them in condemning him. Now he's getting kind of, this is touchy stuff here. Stepping on some toes for sure. And though they found no cause of death in him, yet desired they Pilate that he should be slain. And when they had fulfilled all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a secular. Did I say that right? I usually say tomb. I just I translate it differently because I have a really hard time saying that. Uh, but God raised him from the dead, and he was seen many days of them which came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses unto the people. And we declare unto you glad tidings, how that the promise which was made unto the fathers, God hath fulfilled the same unto us their children, in that he raised, hath raised up Jesus again, as it is written in the second psalm, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And as concerning that he raised him from the dead, now no more to return to corruption, he said on this wise, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Wherefore he saith also in another psalm, Thou shalt not suffer thine holy one to see corruption. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell on sleep and was laid unto his fathers and saw corruption." Now, so if you were, if, if, if they were thinking that what that psalm was talking about was, was David, he said, you're mistaken there. Because it's pretty obvious that David did see corruption. His body rotted in the grave. But what he was really talking about was Jesus who was going to go into the grave and he was not going to see corruption. His body never started to deteriorate. He was, he was wrapped up, all the spices on him, he was wrapped up body preserved, and then God raised him up before he could ever see corruption or decay of the body. But he whom God raised again saw no corruption. Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins, and by him all that believe are justified from all things from which ye could not be justified by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest that, that come upon you which is spoken of in the prophets. Behold, ye despisers, and wonder, and perish. For I work a work in your days, a work which ye shall in no wise believe, though a man declare it unto you. You know, it's frustrating when you know you have the truth and you give it to people and they refuse to believe it. And you see so many people believe lie after lie after lie, so willing to believe a lie, but you give them this wonderful truth right here and they just totally reject it. It's, it's disheartening. 
And 42, and when the Jews were gone out of the synagogue, the Gentiles besought that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. Now when the congregation was broken up, many of the Jews and religious uh, proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. Listen to this. And the next Sabbath day, came almost the whole city together to hear the Word of God. Can we proclaim that? Can we pray for that? Can we... This is going to happen. So next Sunday, everybody in the whole neighborhood is going to be here. Okay? 45. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy. You know, there's people who would hate to see this church filled up next week. Yeah. Filled with envy and spake against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you, but seeing ye put it from you, and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. So, anybody who you give this wonderful salvation message to and they reject it, they're just not seeing that they're, they think they're unworthy. We need to make sure we convince them that you're right, you're not worthy, but he wants to do it anyway. So, because the Jews have rejected this, he's saying, look, I... Paul loved his own people. You could see before his conversion that he was, he was so zealous for preserving the way of the law in that he went out and was looking for Christians to persecute them, to put them in jail, to stop all this nonsense. When Jesus himself blinded him and knocked him off his horse and said, I like your zeal. I like how you are so passionate about what you're doing. I would like to use you for my cause. And that's what he did. And Paul turned out to be a very good candidate. We were talking about this in Sunday school this morning. No person, in, no human being in their right mind would have voted for Paul. Think about it. No one in their right mind would have voted for him. And God said, yeah, that's the one I need right there. 47. For so hath the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set thee to be a light of the Gentiles. That's good news for us. That thou shouldest be for salvation unto the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord and as many as were ordained to eternal life believed, and the word of the Lord was published throughout all the region. I might as well finish that chapter up. But, but the Jews stirred up the devout and honorable women and the chief men of the city and raised persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them out of their coast. But they shook off the dust of their feet against them and came unto Iconium 
and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Ghost. You know, when you stand up for the Word of God and uh, you preach a good, strong message like that, persecution might come your way. You might be expelled out of the, out of the city, and you just need to go keep doing what you're doing. Don't be angry about it. Be filled with joy and uh, the Holy Ghost. And you know someone's filled with the Holy Ghost when they speak the Word of God with boldness. That's a true sign of someone who's filled with the Holy Ghost, is they speak the Word of God with boldness. Acts 4, 31. And, they, and when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the Word of God with boldness. There it is. Acts 4, 31. Now, let's turn to Colossians. And we're, we're still in Colossians 1, but we're all the way down to verse 2. Notice it says, yeah, all right, so the, very, the first verse was Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and, and now I've explained through what the Word of God says, how all that happened. Paul was picked by God himself. He wasn't voted in because if he was going around campaigning for the position, he would have got no votes. But God put him there. And then it says, to the saints. Again, we're in Colossians chapter 1. This is verse 2. To the saints. Now, what's a saint? Depends on who you ask. The Roman Catholic Church has a really great... That's why us, you know, humble, poor, meek Christians that we are, we hear the word saint. And if I was to say Saint Lois, she might not understand too much about that. She might be like, hmm, I don't feel like a saint. Why would you call me that? And then I might say Saint Joy. And she might really get weirded out because she knows the Bible really, really well. And for me to call her something like that, she might get a little uneasy about it. And the reason is, each and every one of us who truly believe, we're saints. And God is calling us a saint. It's, it, the, the, the word saint in the Bible, it's, it's a Greek word that is... Uh, Hagios is H-A-G-I-O-S, and it simply means separated. Kind of like the word sanctified means you're set apart. So if you're a saint, then all right, this is what I was looking for right here. It just jumped out at me. A saint is simply any sinner who is saved by grace. But what the Catholic Church did is because you'll see the church of St. Peter, the church of whatever, St. whatever. Well, if you reach sainthood through the Roman Catholic Church, people could actually pray to you. But you have to be dead for a long time. You, you know, you got to be in heaven. And there's all kinds of criteria, and you have to be 
watched over history to make sure nothing bad comes out about you. And maybe there's some miracles associated with you. And remember, during AD 30 and and AD 70, that 40-year span, there was a lot of miracles that happened with the apostles. They would go into a place, and if somebody had dropped dead, they would raise them up to life. Or they would heal people of different things. There was some crazy stuff going on. And, all right, well, you, you see what Paul did. You see what Peter did. And they can be, they're probably going to be a saint one day, according to the Roman Catholic Church. And they finally reached this sainthood. So if you know that history, then I can understand why if I called you saint whatever, you would be like, don't you say that. It would feel weird. But we are called saints in the Word of God, more so than we're called Christians. God's people in the New Testament are referred to as believers, brethren, disciples, Christians, and saints. And there's this idea of holiness that is attached to the word saint. If God calls us saints, the Bible claims that we're saints because we are sinners who have been saved by grace. If that's what you are, you should have some holiness about you. Holiness. We're supposed to be more like Jesus than we were yesterday. Right? Definitely way more like Jesus than we were a year ago. So... But we are thought of or called holy not because of our own merit, but because as believers we are washed in the blood of Christ, indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and made recipients of the imputed righteousness of Christ. Those three three things have happened. Can you show any kind of video evidence of you being washed in the blood? What about being indwelt by the Holy Spirit? Some people might claim back and crazy and silly that they got the Holy Ghost, but do you see it actually go into somebody? Probably not. And made recipients of the imputed righteousness of Christ. If that has happened to you because you believe that He is the Son of God and I can't look at you and see if it's really happened or not, but if it's happened, it's happened, whether I see it or not. Now, that's way different than the way the Roman Catholic Church would bring somebody into sainthood. It's all about what the person did for all those years, but being a real saint has nothing to do with what you did. It has everything to do with what Christ has done. And then we become more like Christ. We do. We're moving right along with verse number two. We are now at faithful brethren. In Christ, which are at Colossae. You know, the same thing can be said about you. You're in Christ, and right now you're at Lafette. Are, are you in Christ? Well, if you're in Christ, see, Christ is at the right hand of the Father in heaven. So if you're in Christ, that means you're there too. 
Well, how can, and Ephesians actually tells you you're there. I'm pretty sure it's Ephesians. It says that you're there, but yet you're right here. So you're in Christ, and you're at a certain place at the same time. Again, do you, can you produce the evidence that you're in Christ sitting at the right hand of God? That's something else. You can't produce the evidence, but you're believing it anyway because it says it in the Bible, right? Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is famous for this. In almost every epistle, if it's not every one, you're going to see grace and peace. And you're going to see grace as always first. Because you're not going to have true peace if you don't have the grace. So it's always in that order. And also, grace would be the Greek way of saying, hey, you, you, they might greet somebody that way. You know, it's just a, a greeting. And peace is something that the Jewish people would be very familiar with. So it kind of brings the Gentiles and the Jews together. Grace and peace. That makes sense? What is it? What is the word? Is it shalom? Would be would something uh, a Jewish person would say. But hail would be something a Greek person might say, a Gentile. So grace and peace. I'm going to say something very profound. Listen closely. Grace is the root from which salvation springs. Peace is the fruit that salvation brings. You're thinking I'm a poet? Oh, I didn't. I just copied it out of a book. I have no talent, but I thought that was really good. Grace is the root from which salvation springs. Peace is the fruit that salvation brings. I wish I came up with that. If I did, I'd be bragging about it. Now, I got one last thing I want to read to you. Remember, Colossians. Did we finish uh, verse 2? Yeah. We finished verse 2. Jesus being the head of the church. Jesus being deity. He is God. Now, this is titled, The Glories of Christ. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. That's 2 Corinthians 3, 5. One of the great tenets of Scripture is the claim that Jesus Christ is completely sufficient for all matters of life and godliness. That's 2 Peter 1, 3, and 4. He is sufficient for creation. You know, a few weeks ago we read all of chapter 1 of Colossians and it says it right there in Colossians 1, 16 and 17 that he's the creator of all things. He is sufficient for salvation. That's in Hebrews 10, verses 10, and 11, and 12. Sufficient for sanctification. That's in Ephesians 5, verses 26 and 27. And for glorification, which is in Romans 8, 30. So pure is he that there is no blemish, stain, spot of sin, defilement, lying, deception, corruption, error, or imperfection. That's 1 Peter 1, 18 through 20. 
So complete is he that there is no other God, big G God, there is no other real God besides him. That's Isaiah 45, 5. He is the only begotten Son. That's John uh, chapter 1, 14 and 18. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in him. Colossians 2, uh, that's the next chapter over. We'll get there sooner or later. 2 verse 3, the fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily in him. Colossians 2, 9. He is heir of all living things. Hebrews 1, 2. He created all things and all things were made by him, through him, for and for, for him. Colossians 1, 16. He upholds all things by the word of his power, Colossians 1.17. Hebrews 1.3 also says that. He is the firstborn of all creation, Colossians 1.15. He is the exact representation of God, Hebrews 1.3. He is the only mediator between God and man. He is the son that enlightens, that's the S-U-N son. I believe that was in Malachi. Um, the sun that enlightens, the physician that heals, the wall of fire that defends, the friend that comforts, the pearl that enriches, the ark that supports, the rock, and all, and all these are, are capital uh, letter in the front, rock, capital R, to sustain under the heaviest of pressures. He is seated at the right hand of the throne of majesty on high, uh, Hebrews 1, 3 and 8, 1. He is better than the angels. That's Hebrews 1, 4 through 14. Better than Moses, better than Aaron, better than Joshua, better than Melchizedek, better than all the prophets, greater than Satan. That's Luke 4, 1 through 12. That must be when he uh, triumphs over him when he was being tempted. And stronger than death. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty five. He has no beginning and no end. That's Jesus. This just after the order of Melchizedek. Uh, that's Revelation 1, 17 and 18. He is the spotless Lamb of God. He is our, he is our peace, Ephesians 2, 14. He is our hope, 1 Timothy 1, 1. He is our life, Colossians 3, 4. He is the living and true way, John 14, 6. He is the strength of Israel, 1 Samuel 15, 29. He is the root and the offspring of David. And this says, comma, the bright and morning star. But I have to stop and say uh, it should be an and right there. He is, the, he is the root and offspring of David, comma, and the bright and morning star. That's very important. Uh, many new versions leave out the and, and it makes it look like that David was the bright morning star. But Jesus, that's a name for Jesus. And I'm not going to get into why that's so important right now, but we will one day. Uh, that Revelation 22, 16. He is faithful and true, Revelation 19, 11. He is the author and finisher of our faith, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. He is the captain of our salvation, Hebrews 2, 10. He is the champion he is the elect one, Isaiah 42, 1. He is the apostle and high priest of our confession. He is the righteous servant, Isaiah 53, 11. He is the Lord of hosts, the Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, the God of the whole earth, 
Isaiah 54, 5. He is the man of sorrows, Isaiah 53, 3. He is the light. He is the son of man, Matthew 20, 28. He is the vine. He is the bread of life. He is the door. He is the Lord. He is Lord. He is prophet, priest, and king. He is our Sabbath rest. He is our righteousness. He is the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. He is the chief shepherd. He is Lord God of hosts. He is Lord of the nations. He is the lion of Judah, the living word, the rock of salvation, the eternal spirit. He is the ancient of days, creator and comforter. Messiah, and He is the great I Am. I've been carrying this around for three or four weeks now, wanting to read that to you. It's done. We have to have uh, a very good understanding of who Jesus Christ really is. A very good understanding. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this day. We thank You for Your Word. And Father, I pray that Your word would penetrate our hearts. And Father, that we would be more able, and and Father, that we would speak this very word with boldness. That Father, we will recognize that we are unworthy, but yet you made a way that we can come to you. And Father, we thank you for your grace so that we can live in your peace. Thank you, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.